0: Good
1: morning, good afternoon, good evening, y whales wherever you are. Today is a really cool one, and it's very special for me because I have been uh, a long-time holder of Proton Chain and other Meticulous projects. So that being said, I need to give a disclosure that, yes, I am a, a holder of uh, Meticulous. This is really only the second time in a, in a few weeks that I've met Marshall, so nothing here is financial advice. Uh, but but yes, I, I have invested independently of this project, uh, and I'm very excited to have Marshall on today so we can really understand... Uh, a lot of my theses of why I invested in Proton Chain and Meticulous and, and the other protocols around there, uh, as well as, you know, just kind of hearing where this is going and what it's doing. So thank you, Marshall, for coming on. But before we do that, uh, I want to make sure that uh, Mr. Stefan here can kind of give himself an introduction uh, and then Fred and then Marshall will go to you. So, Stefan.
2: Hey, good morning, everyone. Yeah, I'm super excited today. I mean, I love L1 tech, just love tech in general. So super excited to see. Uh, I'm Stefan. Um, been in crypto since 2015, doing uh, various projects, including an L1 actually as well. So super interested to see what you're doing and all the cool stuff you're up to.
3: Awesome. Fred. Hi, I'm Fred Thiel. I'm the chairman and CEO of Marathon Digital Holdings for one of the largest publicly traded Bitcoin miners. Uh, in North America and uh, soon to be deploying upwards of 23 exahash of Bitcoin mining compute. Um, Love crypto. I think it's uh, one of the most uh, amazing innovations to come and really uh, the dematerialization of the payments and financial markets where the internet was the dematerialization of communication. This is kind of the next leg and super excited to hear, uh, you know, Marshall, what you've been up to.
1: Fantastic. Thanks. And, and as you can tell, Marshall, uh, no softballs here today. I, I brought the All Star crew. So uh, <laughs> off to you, sir. Thanks for having me on today, guys.
4: Thank you, Jay and Stefan and Fred. And my name is Marshall Hayner. I'm CEO and co founder of uh, Metal, uh, aka Metallicus Inc. And we are the creator of Proton Blockchain, the core developer, um, as well as uh, uh, known dApps, Proton Swap, Proton Loan. Um, and also, uh, we are looking to create a Bank in the United States first blockchain bank. So that's a proposed, uh, de novo bank charter in the U.S. And, uh, my interest in crypto is just pretty much very broad. I'm obsessed with the technology. I've, I've been in this space for over 10 years and, um, I'm, I'm trying to build myself and my team are trying to build, uh, a global crypto banking platform and a blockchain that would work with, uh, payments, identity and reg tech. And I feel like I've probably been the crazy one kind of screaming for a while, but then, You know, yesterday and over the past couple of weeks, we're starting to see this emerge, um, technology regulation and also usability. I'm a big usability and UX and UI fan. So um, you always find great UI in our apps. Uh, But thanks again for having me on today.
1: Awesome. So so Marshall, let's go ahead and and go prior to Metal and and get, kind of go back to, you know, your first exposure to to blockchain cryptocurrencies because you've been involved in some other uh very interesting projects prior to this. And and in a space this new, um I I always find it interesting to bring some of the more mature developers that have gone through multiple rounds and multiple years of, of development. Um so where where did it all start for you?
4: yeah so it goes all the way back to two thousand and nine for me i was um I guess I'll start a little bit earlier to, to uh, kind of explain how I got here um when I was young i was I was into Napster I was into decentralized file sharing music that was you know as I was going to college, that was very cool um and I thought Napster was cool quickly. it became shut down, and the reason was that uh, there were there were copyright issues there were um intellectual property issues, and you had this kind of centralized platform. Uh, that was really kind of used for piracy, right? That's what Napster was. Um, but it, it really brought about an interesting concept. What what about this idea of kind of like a streaming catalog of music? And this idea became, you know, Spotify, YouTube music, everything that we have today, the way that we consume content today. Also, same goes for video with Netflix and that type of thing. I was really obsessed with this idea. I became obsessed with the idea of BitTorrent, which was kind of the decentralized uh, file sharing, decentralized data. And it actually had faster download speeds. It was more efficient to use. At one point, BitTorrent became 80% of all web traffic. So when I went off to school, I went to Northeastern and Boston, like every good entrepreneur, uh, subsequently dropped out and moved to California. Um, And you know, what I think was really interesting was, you know, the founder of Napster was there, right? And, you know, uh, that was the thing that was kind of going on at the time. So I became very involved in, um, BitTorrent, uh, decentralized data file sharing. I thought that was really cool. And all the while studying cryptography, I, I felt that the internet at some point would become decentralized and BitTorrent was kind of the first example of that. And so, um, uh, being involved in different forums and things like that, the artists would come in and you could start to see this movement of artists that wanted to move away from the record label. As the technology's get better, getting better to create your own home studio and music, I mean, you can record an album on an iPhone now, right? But that didn't used to be the case. So as that technology became better, artists started to emerge. The, um, the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails uh, came on to What.CD and asked... You know, where, how can I release my music on here and get paid for it? And somebody mentioned Bitcoin. And that was where I, that was my moment, right? What's that? Google it. Oh, that's the BitTorrent of money. Um, and that became, became a multi week long obsession of just how does this work? Where does it plug into the bank? How does it connect to the existing financial system? And I really kind of racked my brain for a few days about, Oh, it's a different unit of accounting. It's its own kind of currency, cryptocurrency. And it was such a cool idea. I kind of went down the rabbit hole. So I had a lot of the early software I was mining um, on my 2008 MacBook Pro in the very beginning. I was, uh, you know, even considering at one point starting a mining farm, glad I didn't go that route because it just wasn't my thing. I'm more of a software guy, but, um, and it became very competitive as Fred knows, you know, that's a very competitive space. Um, quickly that became an industrialized kind of thing. And so one of the things I recognized was, well... You know, people still want to earn crypto. They still want to have a great experience with it. And in 2010, 2011, this was, you know, pre-Coinbase days, we didn't have good wallets. We didn't have great software. Blockchain, you know, .com, previously .info, that was kind of one of the early crypto web wallets, right? And Electrum wallet. And, you know, people were using uh, this this thing called the Skillabuck wallet, which was a very early Bitcoin and Litecoin wallet. And so the software was, you know, and shout out to those developers for being the early people, but it was really... You know, nascent and we still had PayPal and Venmo and these types of things. So I felt that we needed a crypto PayPal, an easy to use, uh, into you know wallet beyond just your typical crypto wallet that people could use. And in 2013, I launched my first crypto wallet, which was called QuickCoin, and that was integrated with your Facebook wallet. And essentially, for most people, creating seeds and mnemonics and things like this, it's a little difficult setting up hardware wallets for a first-time user. So I figured, you know, billions of people have Facebook accounts. Let's let's use the Facebook OAuth to connect you to create a HD wallet in the browser. So you can still own the keys, but it's connected to your Facebook account. And that proved to be really successful because for a lot of people, it obscured the whole kind of um, you know uh, complexity of creating a wallet. And then Facebook and Google and these services have pretty good security. Like if, if someone tries to log in from Romania and you're in California, it's going to like lock down your account, right? So it has pretty good security. So the, the messaging behind that was you know use it for petty cash use it this is like the wallet in your back pocket you're not going to put your life savings in it but it's connected to your facebook right and then it also had this notion of identity because now people could tip each other and pay each other over wall post and over messenger facebook shut that down pretty quickly by the way but not before we got a million users right and that was my first app my first crypto app in 2013 2014 and by end of 2013 dogecoin had just launch early 2014 Quickcoin was kind of taking off I discovered Dogecoin people were asking me should I buy Dogecoin and I <laughs> this is in December right as it launched and I said what is that and I'm you know I'm a, I, I'm a humorous guy myself I like I like memes I like jokes so I you know looked it up and I thought it was hilarious I connected with the founders and we hit it off and you know the founder Jackson told me um, and Billy you know it was a joke it was just totally a joke. They met um, online, and uh, uh, Billy was the guy who, you know, kind of forked the code and, and did it. And so I got involved because I thought it was fun, you know, fun at a time when people were starting to focus on crypto not so much as an as a technology thing and more of as an investment. By 2013, 2014, you started to have some of the first conferences. Coinbase had appeared, BitPay had appeared, the early V1 crypto companies had appeared, and my once kind of fun hobby. You know, where everybody's talking about, you know, different aspects of Bitcoin and blockchain. Now it's all about what's the price, where's it going. And there were a lot more, um, I don't want to say suits, but sweater vests in the room, right? And that kind of, you know, it just took a, a little bit of the magic away. Whereas Dogecoin was, how much is one Doge? Well, one Doge equals one Doge. Wow, such fun. So. I, I became a big part of this community, um, and that's where I met Glenn Marion, who built the first web wallet, kind of like the first real wallet outside of Dogecoin QT, um, and, and we hit it off, became good friends. Um, I left QuickCoin. I joined a company that you may know of called Stellar, uh, Stellar Development Foundation at the time, and it was on the launch team at Stellar. We did a similar product to uh, QuickCoin with Stellar. This time, it wasn't funded by my early Bitcoins out of my personal wallet, it, was, uh, it came from Stellar Lumens, which was called actually Stroops at the time after Jed's favorite waffle snack. And uh, now it's it was STR, now it's XLM. Um, that was an awesome launch. That time around, we got a million users in a week. We actually took bets in the office you know how quickly and Jed won that one. I came in second place, but I didn't think we could do it in a week. Um, but this is a little bit of background about my belief in UI and UX and how crypto breaks down barriers, and we have to make it easy and simple for people to use. And so Stellar, uh, you know, kept building out that framework, and I left and I joined. Block.io, which is building infrastructure, uh, creating essentially similar to kind of like BitGo and some of the other custody providers, very early into that, and that's where I met Glenn Marion. We left and we uh, created Metal, and uh, with the vision of creating a global crypto bank and PayPal for crypto, uh, essentially, if you will.
1: Awesome, man, and, that, and again, fabulous intro. And and for someone who started in 09 and the number of projects you've already been involved in. So give us that, that elevator pitch of where Meticulous and you know, kind of the ecosystem sits today.
2: By the way, Jay, I he, think you're pronouncing that wrong, aren't you? Marshall, can you like, correct Jay about oh, how it's actually
4: pronounced? I'm not sure what, what, what did you... So is it uh,
2: Meticulous or is it Metallicus?
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, oh. Metallicus is the company. Yes. Oh, Metallicus. Okay, okay, so, yes. Go. Yes. Uh, I Meticulous mean, about Metallicus. Huge
2: investment,
4: yeah. <laughs> but you I'm, don't, I, I'm ADD and dyslexic. That's the only reason I'm not. I didn't I'm even catch out. it. So See? it's there fine. You go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Some, it, it's funny. We used to joke people would say it's metalicious, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, you know, where we were then, that was the early, those are the early days, right? And you think back to kind of, you know, I was a child of the internet. You know, I grew up with America online you know i had AOL instant messenger you know we were there was a certain time you know in the late 90s and early 2000s when the internet was just being born it was just i mean it already existed but it was really taking shape right and the, you know amazon these companies were forming that's that was my childhood right and you know it feels a lot like that again now i'm in a different phase of my life and i'm watching kind of you know the early and people say this all the time right that where we are in crypto it's kind of like the dial up modem maybe that was a few years ago but it is true because, you know, we're having, you know, the, the president just gave an, issued an executive order yesterday about researching stable, stable coins, CBDCs and cryptocurrencies informing public policies. I, I'm glad that it's happening. Maybe a little bit late in my opinion, but it's never too late. Right. And now that these things are happening, watch what's going to happen because I remember a time when Bitcoin was, you know, only a year two year, year and a half old. And, and people would say, oh, it's just, uh, it's like, it's like coin collecting. It's like stamps, right? And the government's view on it was no view. No one had any view. It was too early to take a stance or a view, right? And then, you know, flash forward a few years. You know, now we are looking at regulatory issues. Now there are larger financial markets. When Bitcoin first launched, it was, was only like a 10, there was not a large market cap. There was not a lot of liquidity. There's not a lot of trading volume. Mt. Gox, uh, Bitstamp, BTCE, these are some of the first early exchanges. Um, even before that, you would go into IRC and, and do a P2P trade on this thing called BTC OTC. So in the beginning, there was just no view flash forward to 2022 and you have governments appealing for donations in cryptocurrency publicly on Twitter uh the president of the United States issuing an executive order um i it's very exciting for me because i had this kind of moment where you know when i first discovered it i thought wow this is really cool but by 2013 that was kind of when i start officially kind of Went full time into crypto was 2013. I was a hobbyist, a lurker, um, spending all my time thinking about it and how I could get involved. But it just didn't seem like there was enough potential there, and I, I really, real, I realized that the real opportunity is to connect uh, open finance for everyone, right? And that's kind of what the early companies like Facebook and Google and you know um, even AOL, even though it's you know part of Time Warner or whatever, it's it's dead now, but that changed the internet. That changed how people interact. So when people realize that money is a concept, that's crazy, right? And money is a concept and money is a, you know, you can subscribe to different forms of money. That whole new concept, I think, is really interesting and definitely, you know, regulation and technology are going to need to catch up. It's always natural that technology outpaces regulation, but I'm really proud of our policymakers and our president and our, um, uh, prudential regulators and, and, um, really our congressmen, congresswomen, senators, everybody that's, that's, that's taking the right stance here in the U.S. because, this is the direction that's going to go, and paper money and your traditional plastic
1: cards are really going to be like fax machines in a few years. So so Marshall, on, on that note, and you know, kind of the, the question I think that everyone would like to ask is how is uh, metal and and proton and loan, how are they positioned if if the executive orders come through and and you know it's gonna take a while, but you know, listen, there's regulation needed and, and it's recognized. Um, how do you feel that that your portfolio of companies is is situated right now? Take advantage of that.
4: Yeah. So you know, I I was reading an article the other day talking about kind of what they call you know regulatory arbitrage, right? And some of the early crypto companies, no doubt, benefited from this, right? You you want to serve U.S. customers, but then you go, you're a U.S. company, but yet you're overseas, and you're kind of doing things that are not going to fly in the U.S., but you block U.S. customers or something like that. And there's a lot of early day regulatory arbitrage some paid the price for that and some did really flew too close to the sun others are still kind of in you know a gray zone right but i predicted that you know this you know the early kind of crypto ethos was banks will do away with bitcoin or bitcoin will do away with banks right and crypto will do away with banks and i think in some ways that was right but not entirely in the sense that you know bitcoin is going to do away with banks no that's like saying we're never going to watch a movie again because blockbuster video stores went away. Um, banks are going to change. Banks are never going to go away. They're going to change. They're part of our our country, part of our institution, part of the security of of the U.S. dollar, right? And and of our nations, right? And it's it's also a fundamental part of our society, right? Is is banking? But have banks given us the services that we need? I would argue that they haven't. Have they? operated with the transparency that we deserve. I would argue that they haven't, right? And blockchain is this new idea that we can have this radical transparency, that we can have these higher interest rates, that algorithms can through DeFi can find higher interest rates like Proton Loan or Compound or Maker, things like that. And and through this technology, uh, essentially financial services are completely being reinvented. And I think the key here is responsible innovation, what the president said yesterday and what you hear from the OCC and the FDIC and the Fed, you know, and and um, the SEC saying responsible innovation. Uh, and I think that that's key. It's important for our regulators and policymakers to take a forward-looking stance and say that we want to keep the innovation in the United States. We want to keep Silicon Valley, you know, a you know, leader in blockchain, right? That's important. Um, And I think that we're, you know, we're taking the right path. So to rewind it all the way back, you know, how, how are we positioned? Well, I really thought about regulation when I was building the products and maybe I was punished for it a little bit early in the early days. Right. But as technology evolves, people want, you know, several things they want. They want trust when it comes to their banking. They want security. They want transparency. They want accountability. And then beyond these core, you know, principles of trust and security and accountability, transparency, I want great UX. I want opportunities. I want, you know, a better app. I want the Apple of banking and we just don't have it yet. Right. Um, and, you know, banks are in the past, uh, you were kind of rewarded for moving slow. So, you know, crypto is rewarded for moving fast, really fast. You know, it's 10 times faster than what's happening in fintech. So now fintech is jumping into crypto because it's innovating at a pace that has never happened before. So with, with Proton, we thought about decentralized identity. How can you identify yourself? In the future, you'll need to be able to identify yourself, but without with storing the minimal amount of data, because you know exchanges and other providers, they want to, they're going to follow the rules and regulations, and they also have their fraud and other security concerns, but they also don't want to um, you know, overwhelm you with asking you for data or slow you down in a sign up process or something like that. So when I look at Apple Pay, when I look at Apple ID, that's awesome. That face ID to sign up where I can mask my email and I can come in. So we thought about that and we thought about identity. So we integrated, we, we built on top of web auth and protocol, web authentication protocol. It hasn't really been used, I think, to, to recently to what it can do. But essentially we positioned ourselves in a way that you, Our software with WebAuth.com, you don't need to download it. It can sign with your face, you sign with your touch ID, sign with your YubiKey or hardware. And uh, through Proton Protocol, it can authenticate your identity securely without without publicly sharing your PII and also link fiat funding and traditional bank and legacy sources into blockchain. Because that's what's missing, right? We have our dApps, we have our you know smart contracts, we have our things, but they live in the blockchain world. I have to go to MetalPay, I have to go to Coinbase, I have to go to Kraken and buy some Ether or buy some Proton or some crypto and then bring it out. The smart contracts and the dApps are not exactly talking to the banks and processors and vice versa. So that's essentially what Proton is aiming to do. And by starting just simply with the identity, it's great because as regulations evolve... I don't want to have to type all this stuff out every time. I don't want to have all this data sitting out there and floating around on servers that don't necessarily need to have it. And that's the vision with Proton. People have talked about doing decentralized identity, but when you see it with Proton, it's really great because it's that easy kind of one tap sign up. So I think, you know, Proton is really well positioned because it has this notion of identity. It has this ability to communicate with Uh, with banks and payment institutions, Um, but then also it's just a great L1. Uh, When we thought about fees, when we thought about user experience, what's kind of the big problem with Ethereum right now? It's the gas fees, right, for user experience. The gas fees, right? There may be some other issues, and I love Ethereum, but the gas fees are kind of what's holding back microtransactions and NFTs and other things. So we've made kind of centralized CFI workarounds to that. But you know, with Proton, we're we're going over four thousand transactions per second. We've even gotten to go over ten thousand in in um, stress tests, but uh, four thousand pretty efficiently and we changed the re- we took eos io and we changed the resource model of eos io where essentially now it's on the provider you as a user can still obtain resources through the network with proton but it's better the other way around so if you think about like websites if i if i use a web app or if i use an application it's most likely hosted, right? It's hosted on Amazon Web Services, hosted on other services. And as a company, I'm paying that cost, and then I'm going to recoup it through products and services that I offer, whether that's C to, um, you know, B2C or B2B, B, whatever that might be. So when it comes to blockchain, why shouldn't it be the same way? If you're offering it an app, you know, it doesn't, it's not going as long as it's not going to cost you $20 a transaction, it's going to cost you a reasonable AWS level hosting fee. Then yeah, everything should be free in your, in your proton dap, proton app. And that's how we built it. So when you go to protonresources.com, you'll see it has that AWS Twilio SaaS feel. You can, uh, you know, subscribe for a recurring amount of proton, uh, into your, um, uh, you know, a certain amount of proton per month into your account. And now your users are not paying those fees. So that's another thing you'll notice about proton. You get an X token like XUSDC or XBTC. And it costs you nothing when you come in, and so that's that's another really important part. I think that user experience and ability to have that reg tech built in natively <laughs> is going to become more and more important over time. Awesome,
1: awesome, awesome. Fred uh, or Stefan, which one of you guys wants to kick off a few few good questions? Because I got my long list.
3: <laughs> yeah, I I've certainly been curious. Realize, you know, hardcore Bitcoiner here, so. How do you deal with finality and I'm assuming this is a proof of stake model, uh, how do you deal with maintaining sufficient decentralization so you're not just operating like any bank?
4: Yeah, so with with proton, um, and this is so with with EOS iO, we saw some issues. It's an incredibly uh, incredibly powerful blockchain. Um, but there were some governance issues, as we know, and this was all public, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the issues was... Uh, so, so EOSIO, just kind of a primer in how Proton works, the consensus, it's delegated proof-of-stake. And uh, we call miners essentially block producers, but it's the same thing. They have a little bit more of an active role than your typical proof-of-work miner. Um, so the idea is that we want to involve the miners uh, more in the development of the chain, whereas in some other proof-of-work chains... You know, it may be kind of uh, segregated between like miners, developers, and other people, right? So it's not always that clear. Um, In Proton, we really want, uh, in general, the idea behind this with EOSIO was that it would we'd stimulate development and activity. But what ended up happening was um, that didn't exactly happen initially with with EOS, right? Um, You at any given time, you have twenty one active block producers, but you can have. Unlimited amount of block producers, just like you can have Bitcoin, unlimited Bitcoin miners. The network itself will look at, and this is interesting, uh, when you hold Proton, you can stake it, just like many proof of stake Mm -hmm. chains. In staking it, and this is where the delegated part comes in, you're essentially sort of like electing a representative, like a senator right. or a congressman or someone. You know, you represent my interests. I love your dApps. I love your newsletter. I love your uh, uptime and speed. Um, you're a great block producer. You, you, you always have great, uh, your history nodes are perfect, right? Well, then we're going to reward you by giving you a vote right? And you can stake your Proton. You can vote for up to four block producers. Any account can do this. And in voting, the weight, essentially, of the block producers rises up the chain. Um, and then based upon that weight, where they are, they'll get uh, a proportion of the rewards. Now, the rewards are, are split all the way down. So everybody that's mining would get some proportion of rewards, but it's weighted into the top 21. Because those top 21, kind of a... Uh, I think it was Dan Larimer's kind of nod to Satoshi, right? Um, was... The idea that we'll we'll kind of constrain it down, so we we always have twenty one uh, BP's producing. It, it gives you a faster block time, right? Um, but it's still decentralized in the sense that anyone can slip in and out of the twenty one based upon your performance, and sort of like a, a decentralized autonomous organ. Excuse me, organization. You vote for that block producer. So the problem that that emerged with that was the sock puppet block producer, where you have five block producers who say they're all different people, but they're actually the same person. That's where you fall into the centralization Fred. Mm -hmm. So I saw that and I thought, you know, there is a solution here, right? Decentralized identity is the solution. KYC and KYB on-chain, where you can essentially have a system, and it's not too different, because I'm a crypto nut, than the MIT PGP key ring, right? You, we can have the key ring, we have the trust, which is MIT, an institution that's you know, arguably very big in cryptography, and then from there, we can have our professors, and they can have subkeys, and we can have students, and they can have subkeys, they have expirations, and we have this kind of web of trust in this key ring. Same idea with domains on Proton. So I I love what um, Ethereum did with Ethereum naming system. And I, you know, I was uh, very active, you know, kind of watching that as that emerged. And I think it's really cool how they formed that into a DAO more recently. Um, So we took that idea of naming system and domains and essentially went uh, further where we said, okay, there is a, I'm leaving out a lot here, but there's a uh, consortium essentially inside of Proton um, that is composed of, Sort of, it doesn't have like a hard limit, but it's it's B, the most active BPs that are essentially organizing and collating all of the D ideas for the chain, and a lot of these come in what's called the worker proposal. It's very similar to the um, ERC, the Ethereum Request for Comment, which um, comes from the IETF, the um, the RTF, the, requ- uh, or the um, request for uh, the uh, RFC or RF- Request for comment <laughs> essentially came. From, sorry, came from uh, IETF and Ethereum picked that up, and then I think a lot of other chains picked that up. So they kind of copied that that model, right? And we really like that model, so we have a very similar. And it's it's also popular in EOSIO. It's called the Worker Proposal System. So anybody can make a proposal and essentially get funded by the blockchain to build. Technology. The consortium vets these proposals and also vets, you know, more serious matters for the chain. So we're efficient. We can move quickly and present these matters to the block producers, which are sort of like the elected representatives. And then they can, from there, go out and, um, and, and vote for those people. So if your block producer, for example, let's say, you know, Proton New Zealand or EOS USA is, is representing your values or or crypto lines, you stake your weight and vote for them and, Uh, you automatically kind of see who are the most active people. The consortium kind of organizes these ideas, presents them to the BPs, and they vote on them. And through this method of KYC and KYB, we now know who all of the block producers are. We've had sock puppet attempts, and they failed that know-your-business requirement, right, kind of managed by members of the consortium. And as that expands out over time, that Proton Naming Service Domain uh, System uh, protocol essentially will allow .KYC and .KYB, which can be granted by the consortium. So right now we have you know, Metal.KYC, but the consortium plans to grant out more KYC and KYB domains in the future. You can imagine uh, Coinbase.KYC, Coinbase.KYB, PayPal.KYC. And by stamping these accounts, you're saying, that's the real Jay Steinbeck. That's the real Fred Thiel, Right. And now, when we log into accounts, we can store the data on the device, and using Proton signing request, pass it to the other provider. And we can also see that Coinbase cryptographically attested that this data is correct with us, or Metal attested that this data is correct.
1: So, so Marshall... (laughs) You, there is so much work that has gone into what you guys have done and compared to some other blockchains that that you know again have these these crazy valuations and, and no actual utility or, or anything going on the, the amount of you know time energy and effort that has been put into this and thought through is is extraordinary which is why I initially you know over a year plus ago, uh, started, started, you know, making an investment and it kind of, it's grown out of control at this point. But it, in terms of when we think of, you know, people just say like, look, you know, Bitcoin and the proof of work is the gold standard and, and there's, there's, you know, that's as good as it's ever going to get. And, and, you know, that, that Fred will happily argue on that one. Um, but, but when you, when you kind of look at Proton and the chain that you've built with IO and you've got, you know, basically three main things. You've got security, you got decentralization, uh, and you have scalability where do you rank on on all of these because usually there's some give and take to make some things happen and and you know where where do your what's your scale that you have there
4: yeah so i think you know when it comes to blockchain you want to be decentralized any good blockchain should be decentralized and there's certainly room for private ledgers right or centralized um ledgers And distributed ledgers, those have value. But a blockchain is a decentralized chain in which you kind of have sovereign rights over the keys, right? And that's kind of the original Bitcoin vision. So I do feel that that is very important for any blockchain to have that ethos of decentralization and sovereignty and ownership of the keys. Um, And I also think that, you know, when it comes to governance, we've, you know, in the early days, we kind of failed in some of the governance. And if I were to bring it back to Bitcoin, then you know some people might get salty over this but like maybe like bitcoin foundation foundation right it failed right it didn't manage the money correctly and then you know bruce fenton came in later and kind of picked it up but early governance was bad i'm just going to call it like it is i that's kind of my style um it early governance was bad right and so you know and then even as we started to form daos and things like that um you know the dao right <laughs> it fell apart uh the early governance was bad but we have to put our hand on the stove um, you know, Bitcoin is only seven transactions per second, but it is the godfather, right? It is the 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 first crypto, right? And and all cryptos pay homage to it, and they're all kind of tied to it um, through financial markets because most cryptos have a BTC pair. So when Bitcoin goes up, other cryptos can go up, and if Bitcoin's going down, altcoins are not allowed to you know go up for the most part, right? Unless they defy gravity somehow, right? Sometimes, um, but. Uh, that is kind of you know the way that it's gone. So there, there's value in the legacy. That being said, I'm a big believer in um, uh, proof of stake. I believe that's where we're going as an industry. I, I think the early proof of stake suffer, suffered uh, due to kind of game theory issues that allowed it to become more centralized. And now we have delegated proof of stake, and we have Cosmos, Atom, inter-blockchain communication with bonding, and we have Polkadot with parachains. We have so many different. Experiments of proof of stake that appear to be making incredible progress. And I, I think that EOS IO is one of the best. It was lacking that idea of identity. I think that was the issue that was causing the sock puppet BPs. And also the governance, like a, a core consortium. What ended up happening was kind of like bullish or B1 and now ENF. There was like a, you know, a schism, like a faction. And that can always happen, but a good governance should allow for there to be consensus. So everybody can be in disagreement in that core group, but it still allows you to move faster and there can still be consensus. So I think that's you know that's where we're going. Proof of work, I think that it had that early value, right? When, you know, why is Bitcoin valuable? Well I have to burn electricity to create it. And you know, that has a real world cost. And that I think was the early kind of what I call like the crypto cryptocurrency alchemical mutation, right? From electricity to Bitcoin, and it took you hardware and electricity. And I could say, but we're past that point. I will argue that we're past that point. Now Bitcoin is valued by U.S. governments. Um, the the question of uh, you know, proof of stake or proof of work. I think it's honestly it's similar to kind of the conundrum in banking. How do I rip out? You know, how could I rip out this institution of mining of cryptocurrency mining um, that has become so large? And and Fred probably will give the counterpoints to this. Um, but I think that it's it's hard to do that. I think that there is still some value. It's hard for me to rationalize the uh, environmental value. But it's also hard to rip out. You have something that's built the way it is. It's like saying, rip out the old systems that are 20 years old in banking. You can't just do that. It, there's so much infrastructure and so much built around it. So, you know, I do believe that someday it's possible that Bitcoin could go proof of stake in our lifetime. And, you know, now I'm going to get crucified on Reddit or whatever, right? But I believe it. I, I, I believe that that's possible. Um, let's see. If if Bitcoin organizes and and does that on its own or if that you know is important. And I've seen also hybrid chains that are very interesting, like Decred, where they're you know proof of stake, proof of work, or Kadena or things like that. I follow all these things and I think they all have good merit. So I don't want people to think that I'm trash talking you know, Bitcoin's consensus because it's the oldest, one of the most secure ones there is. But I think that proof of stake provides incredibly novel And environmentally sustainable, also highly scalable in terms of transactions per second and data throughput and what we can handle. And, um, you know, I think Proton really demonstrates that really well. I think we're kind of in the range of the, you know, 10, you know, 3000 to 50,000 transaction per second range is kind of the upper scale range of what we can see reasonable transactions per second. And although that's not ready for the global economy yet. I think that we will scale and we will get there. We'll keep evolving and evolving. And Bitcoin may not need to go 7000 transactions per second. You have lightning, you have other, you have XBTc, you have layer 1 and layer 2 scaling solutions for Bitcoin. I mean, if you check out XBTc on Proton, it's awesome. I can send 1 millionth of a satoshi for free, right? That so micropayments with Bitcoin's possible. And lightning also is another alternative, um, you know, uh more native to Bitcoin, right? So I think that it, we're just going to watch this stuff evolve and evolve, and we have to keep open minds about where it's going to go because um, crypto will frequently what you thought was a financial economic model. You're a professor of economics. Oh, this will never work. Well, <laughs> we're going to do ten thousand, you know, experiments in ten years, and tradition in traditional economics, we've done you know maybe a couple hundred in a thousand years <laughs> or something like that. So uh, whatever you thought you knew. kind of throw it out the window and be open-minded with crypto because we're, we're creating so many experiments, um, that we're, we're discovering new things. And I just want to stress, you know, in those experiments, the key to really growing this industry is doing it responsibly. So the gen experiments are probably not the best, but, um, you know, taking risks also should not be avoided.
3: Marshall, a question for you. So, um, how big do you think the market is for layer ones? Now, there's an argument that if you talk to bankers, they say, we don't need to use a public blockchain. The you know, federal government's CBDC program can be a proprietary blockchain. It doesn't need to use an existing technology. It doesn't have to be built on Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, it can be built on you know something totally proprietary. It doesn't even need to be a blockchain, they, some people would argue, right, when you talk to some of the professors at MIT. so. Yeah. How many blockchains can there be at the end of the day? Because it comes down to liquidity. It comes down to being able to go cross-chain. And it comes down to, uh, at the end of the day, um, the one thing the internet has that the blockchain world doesn't have is there was no economic incentive behind the internet. It was free. And so there was no need. You could you can't compete with free right? Unless you can dramatically increase the service quality. So how do you view all the world of layer ones? Uh, And I'm sure this is something Stefan's going to jump on. (laughs) But you know, there are lots of layer ones, there are lots of people competing with Ethereum on the proof of stake world. You know, you still got ripple out there trying to do whatever it is, they're still trying to do. They've got more money than God, and they don't really have a customer base or an application anymore. But, you know, how do you view the market, which is just getting more and more congested, really?
4: Yeah. um, You know, I'll turn this back to um, DogeCon. Circa 2014, we had a bunch of cool speakers. I was a speaker. Andreas Antonopoulos did the keynote, and it was awesome. He started with, you know, and this is the beginning of Dogecoin, so you have to think this is the early days of altcoins still, right? And he says, everybody that thinks they're, you know, how many how many people in the audience think there are more than you know two hundred cryptos? Raise your hands, right? And you know everybody raise their hands. How many think there are more than five hundred cryptos? Raise your hands. Everybody raise their hand. How many think that there will be more than that there there, that there are more than a thousand or fifteen hundred crypto? You know one or two people raise their hands, and then he said, and how many people think that of those thousands of cryptos that are around? Uh, you know, th- there will be less in the future or not more in the future. And I think like myself and one other person raised their hand and he said, that's right. There will be so many cryptos. There'll be thousands of cryptocurrencies in the future. There'll be so many experiments. And that's, you know, he was right. Here we are today. I think CoinMarketCap only tracks 3,000 or 6,000 or something. But man, if you could track them all, you probably have 20, 30,000 or something pretty outrageous, right? Now... Um, you know, I can I can feel Fred like, oh my god! <laughs> um, it it's of those thirty thousand, probably fifty or sixty are 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 showing promise. That's the reality, right? And of those fifty or sixty, you probably have a couple hundred, right? Two hundred, maybe three hundred that you know, you know, could be into that fifty or sixty over the next few years. Now, over that fifty or sixty, you probably got about twenty that are really you know 10 or 20 that are really you know showing a lot of volume and i'll argue that even some of those 10 or 20 a lot of that is manufactured because it's a big competition of who can create more volume and more tvl and different things like that so you have vcs you know throwing hundreds of millions of dollars of their weight into the room and saying look see it's now it's the biggest l1 please i want this to go up i want this to be you know what everybody uses now but it may not be the case we're trying to maybe for something. So what is the people's blockchain? What are the things that, you know, people really want? And I think in the beginning there's going to be a lot of trying to jam square pegs into round holes and things like that. If you look at coin market cap circa 20, you know, I don't know, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2020, every year it's changed. The top 100 has dramatically dramatically changed. Some of them have stuck around. You've got your your litecoins, your Dogecoins, your XRPs, right? Um, but it's really changed every year, very dramatically. And so I would, you know, I would say probably about fifty or sixty L ones showing promise. Um, and out of those fifty or sixty L ones, probably ten kind of where the party is at, you know. And then there's just unlimited cryptos, unlimited as as many as you could imagine. There's so many that are unlisted, untracked um, out there that I, I frequently come across. And good ones too that I'm like, wow, I can't believe. There's no price discovery. There's no, but in some cases it almost is like that private ledger. They may not even need it, but I'll just say one last thing on this. Crypto is not crypto without decentralization. Decentralization, Crypto is not, it's not true crypto unless you own your own keys, as they say in Bitcoin, um, not your coins, not, or not your keys, not your coins, right? That is true. And that's true with every blockchain. And if that's not the case, then there's a, you know, there's a serious issue. It's not really a blockchain. And in the future, that is what is going to succeed. So to say, you know, and it's I laugh because when you say, you know, not at you, but at the people that have said this that say, you know, oh well, the private ledger, we can just do all this on the private ledger, then go ahead and do it. Why didn't you do it a long time ago? We already do that with traditional C5 banking, right? We have that private ledger. Why is crypto becoming a multi-trillion dollar market cap? Why are NFTs becoming, you know, mainstream topic? Because it's a new technology that provides financial opportunity and also provides um, the ability for us to move across borders and to create financial experiments and things of the like. So there's something really valuable here. Banks will say that. Um I think that I have, I've heard it. It was, it was a very loud voice in the room in, you know, 2011, 2012. Oh, you have crypto? You're not allowed at this bank. You know, my first crypto company, QuickCoin Wells Fargo, closed that bank account. Bank of America closed our Metallicus account. I don't have any problem in saying that. You know, this is why I'm building first blockchain bank. And they, they said that right all the way up until first, until, you know, Bank of America is still has the most patents for blockchain in the world out of any company. So think about that. They're, they're, they're closing my account for being a regulated financial services entity that has independent audits, fully audited financials, money transmission licenses, um, licenses in other countries to transmit money. I mean, we are put together, right? But it scares them. It scared them about Bitcoin, and it scared them about new and up-and-coming uh, fintechs that they were already nervous about, neobanks kind of eating the younger generation. And now it's neobanks plus crypto. So, of course, they won't get that support. Um, but you give it a year, give it two years, you know, you'll see Bank of America say... Introducing Bitcoin deposits, introducing buying and selling with Bitcoin. When I said we're going to create the PayPal for crypto in 2013, you know, people were like, that's a great idea. And I said, oh, what? wait, PayPal will add it. It's just going to take them 10 years or so. You know, it's just going to take them a while, right? And PayPal made a patent. I remember, you know, only Dogecoin is only a few months old. They submitted a patent for uh, crypto buying and selling in their app, and Dogecoin was in the patent description, like on the USPTO website. So, Like, they're doing it. They're going to say that they're against it, but it is inevitable. It's like banks saying, you know, this whole internet banking thing is not ever going to take off, you know? Blockchain's never going to take off. Well, it will, and people will want stable coins. And I think that we want an economy that has CBDCs, but we also don't want to have an economy that's only CBDCs. We want USDC. We want UST. We want, you know, choices. We want options. And I think that that that's. Maybe, maybe not UST. Or or maybe not UST. Maybe not USDT. I don't know. Right. Maybe we want to focus. And I, you know, I think that's, you you bring up a good point, right? Synthetic. And I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo one coin or the other. I never want to do that unless it's obviously a scam, which I'll say something. Right. But, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, synthetic versus reserve backed. This is really important. And I saw this coming. So I I started working on what was supposed to be kind of like an internal industry technical white paper, which actually ended up becoming a bill, which I submitted into Congress two years ago called the Cryptocurrency Act 2020. And it outlined several different types of uh, cryptocurrency categories, uh, their classifications, and then the assigned regulators to them. Um, and, you know, under stable coins, we, you have, you know, uh, treasury, you have the OCC, um, and essentially, uh, you have reserve backed and you have synthetic stable coins. And I differentiated that the SEC would oversee synthetic, but that it wouldn't be viewed as a security, that it is a, you know, nod to maker or a DAI that we should be able to experiment with synthetic stable coins. But I think also, like, uh like the warning on a bottle of you know high proof alcohol it should also say that on a stablecoin in an app that this is not a dollar for dollar just so people know right especially on the consumer apps right that there should be some so i think that that's coming around i don't think that we should over-regulate. But I think that we should also have, you know, re- good regulation that allows for this innovation where the offices of innovation of the various prudential regulators really welcome people in. And it's not this scary place to go to, but it's a welcoming place where we collaborate. And, and I think that that can happen. And I see a lot of that happening already. So people want choices. And that's, that's America, right? We have the freedom to
1: choose. So, so on the stablecoin comment, a metal has is, is got plans to produce a stablecoin. And we we've you know clearly heard that you're going to need a bank uh, to 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 facilitate that, and you know you've ca- can you just give an overview real quick of of what that plan are and, and and if possible timelines. Um, and- yeah, absolutely. So we we are creating an ecosystem
4: inside of Proton where we we needed a fast L one that was built for regulation that we could essentially have. Swap protocols, lending protocols, and so we have that. The early Proton Swap, and um, I'm going to drop a little nugget later today about that um, and Alpha, as you as you said earlier, and uh, Proton Loan. We need those protocols to be able to have KYC because into the future and KYB because into the future that's going to become important. So we we built a lot of that technology. Now, one of the big problems I think in the industry is. Um, the ability to kind of quickly move between stable coins, right? And so if I have a million dollars of USDP and I need a million dollars of USDC, changing it over is not always that easy, right? We can use OTC desks. Um, what has become the de facto standard is on Ethereum is curve, right? Curve finance, um, for, for changing, you know, stable coins. So low slippage, you can kind of sw- switch between stable coins, but there isn't really a good kind of fast, way to move between all these stable coins. And that's something that I recognize, you know, as our firm that we deal with, right? We, we trade, you know, in other stable coins. But, um, in general, there, there's not kind of really a, uh, a, a fast mechanism to do that. Curve is good, but it is painful. The Ethereum gas fees. I wish Curve was on Proton. I wish it was, we had other options, right? So, um, in that sense, I'm bringing it to Proton. I'm, I'm creating my own version of that with, with Metal Token. And essentially, uh, it goes a little bit further where it has its own kind of wrapped token that, uh, is a basket of Stable coins that are essentially weighted and elected into that basket. So synthetic can exist in the basket, but it can also be de risked, right? So let's say, uh, you know, there's an issue with one of these synthetic coins, the DAO can essentially vote to de risk it and change the allocation in that basket. So, and that is done with very similar to Proton, where you stake and you vote. Very similar, you stake and you vote and you vote on allocation of stable coins. And it essentially, uh, the the metal dollar concept is a fast and stable stablecoin that can quickly move into other stablecoins. So you want to move between USDP to USDC to USDT to something else, um, Gemini Dollar, whatever it might be, and maybe something new emerges, um, and you want that to be added into the basket. It can be voted in. So that's essentially a, a DAO on uh, on Proton that is going to become a big part of metal and a lot of the things that we do. And we are also inside of that issuing our own kind of reserve backed dollar, which probably will take up a large portion of the allocation, but it's it's a Dow. So people kind of vote it in and out. And I think that that is really important. The ability to be able to get between these multiple currencies, because it wasn't too, I mean, you know, over a hundred, about a hundred years ago, we had more than just the United States dollar. We actually had multiple different banks producing, you know, what they called wildcat dollars And that was not exactly great, because sometimes those banks would collapse, you know, converting from one to the other, didn't always have the best rates, it was kind of hard. So we don't want to recreate the same problems. And I think it's important um, for the, you know, the FDIC is looking at these Crypto banks and for them to issue guidance on stable coins and how this might work and also into the future, you know, how does the insurance work on that? Right. And these are the big questions that I think are coming up that you see in the executive order that are going to come out of this research. Right. Um, but in the meantime, just in DeFi, we need a fast and feeless way. I want to be able to move very quickly a lot of money between these stable coins and I don't want to have to worry. And I want also to have the ability to lend and borrow them. And that's part of you know the proton loan
2: uh, uh, ecosystem. Hey, I want to jump in on the on the ecosystem parts. So I think one of the things I really like about your approach, and it's I think a bit different, right? Most of you know, the other L1s, they launch an L1 and then they just kind of wait for people to build dApps on top of it. And you guys kind of take another approach. Like you're like, no, no, we'll launch an L1 and a whole ecosystem on top of it that kind of like works natively together. And I mean, I love that, right? It feels to me like that's going to end up being a way more functional ecosystem than just a here is tech and hopefully somebody builds something cool because I mean, I love Curve, but I mean, the interface is just like atrocious. Right. So I, um, so I like the idea of having a more proactive approach, but I also, so Hey, I like that, but what's the regulatory concerns on that? Right. So it just feels this really interesting interaction uh, from your side.
4: Yeah. I, well, I'm very inspired by Steve jobs and Apple. I, you know, I'm very inspired by that and you can see that in our UI and our design. I, I take a lot of notes and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a big Apple fanboy. I love their UI and UX. And before Apple, you know, I'll tell you when I was when I was a kid in high school, I was all the all of my friends' parents would call me, "Can you come and fix our family computer? They're all Windows. Everything's Windows, right?" And then around like you know, 1998, 1999, as I'm you know going off to college, uh, you know, everybody starts getting Macs, and those problems mysteriously went away, right? Because you know, it was a better, it was a more holistic ecosystem. Um, you know, Steve had this vision of, you know, we're gonna take this open source, um, we're gonna take this open source operating system, you know, Unix, and we're going to make it the foundation. It's a better permission system than you know what Windows is built on with DOS and everything, and it does not all has full of all these holes. And we're gonna take this really robust operating system that's permission proven open source operating system, and then we're gonna put a beautiful front end on it and we're going to service it. And all the products, the iTunes, the, you know, the software, all these products, we're going to make them, we're going to make them really really good. And we're going to focus on a couple different products that really kind of make up the experience. And that was, you know, arguably one of the best decisions of all time in technology, period, hands down. Because I'm talking to you right now on an iMac with AirPods, with I'm I'm surrounded by Apple products, right? And they are the best products. And you know, I think after Steve died, maybe it's not as good as it once was. But they still have that vision, right? I, I think yes. There are some great products coming out. Some I have questions, right? But <laughs> Apple battery, what is that? But um, you know. They really did it right. And I think that blockchain needs that. You know, what has happened in the past is, you know, we build an L1 blockchain is built. And then one of the things that I see that is unfortunate is just shovels of VC money being dumped on, you know, teams that are maybe not really qualified or ready to build these applications and you have big hacks and you have, you know, big issues and you, and you have a multi-billion dollar blockchain with no lending protocol or something that looks really (laughs) sketchy. And I can't believe this is a 20 billion dollar market cap coin. And this is the premier dap for that. Right. Um, so. Taking that Steve Jobs approach, you know what, I'm going to go build these core pieces because I can, I know what they should look like, and I want people to have great experiences. I don't want, knock on wood, I don't want them to have some big hack experience where all the funds are drained out. I don't want to put the future of the vision of Proton, um, uh, to, to put it out there in such a way that I don't have as much control that I can say, I can really influence this thing, right? And I know that, that we can at, at, at Metal, that we can build great dApps. So, um, you know, th- but we're not alone. So when you ask the regulatory question, is it like just Metal building all these dApps? No, there are great dApps like Proton ProtonMint, uh, Storex, Pixel Heroes, Snipcoins, um, you know, the Phoenix uh, NFT, DAO. There's all these things that are coming around uh, the chain. But I think that if you tried to artificially force it, right? If you said, we need a lending protocol, somebody needs to build a lending protocol, who wants to do it? Here's some ridiculous amount of money. Why are they not doing it right? Why did it get hacked? Well, you forced it. You tried to force something that somebody wasn't passionate about building or they weren't the right person and and you put them in this position. I am the right person. Metallicus is the right team to build these apps and we're going to do it just like Steve built iTunes and just like he built these early apps we want to show a path for what looks great and not just for Proton but for the whole industry right like i want fast and feeless and no download face id sign up and i think you know one of the things about proton and you you guys know this that um it i call it the people's blockchain it really is it really is the people's blockchain there is this community around proton that's that's incredible. And a lot of that comes kind of from Glenn and I and the early founders of Proton coming from Dogecoin and having that do only good every day. Let's help each other out. Let's let's be friendly. Let's not focus just on price. Let's focus on building each other up and building a network up because crypto is nothing without community. So without that community, it, it, it can't really grow. And I think, you know we need to, in the industry, we re- really need to stop fighting so much between chains, you know, the, what chain is bad or whatever. And we need to focus more on, you know, I don't want to say enemies, but w- what, are the, what are the big problems that we face? How do we tackle it together? If we're all going to fight between each chain, you know, this chain versus that chain or Bitcoin maximalism, or Ethereum maximalism, or whatever, guess who's going to win and who's going to lose? We're all going to lose as people in crypto and the people that are going to destroy crypto are going to create centralized systems that, that, and they will get their cake, right? Oh, you don't need that. You just want the centralized prepaid card. It's better than Bitcoin. Is it really? No, that's an old antiquated system. So how do we, how do we grow as a, how do we grow in crypto? Well, we need to come together between chains. And that is a vision of Proton as well that, you know, sometimes I see that where it's like, we only have, you know, in our, in our L1 ecosystem we only have the coins of this ecosystem and we don't support other tokens from ethereum or cardano or uh, you know binance chain or you know other chains so we took that approach that we should really not we should be inclusive we should ex- include everybody that and exclude no one you know so bring in the top cryptos and that's one of the first things you'll notice too about proton is that the top cryptos like those 50 60 that i mentioned earlier they're present. They're present on Proton. They have ability to lend and borrow, and soon they'll have liquidity to trade. So I think that's really important, and that's also kind of in that Apple kind of sense. Like, yes, we have great apps, but are we going to block you from using Gmail or, you know, um, Google Maps? Because that you can't do that, right? Um, so we want to welcome other people to come in, but at the same time, if we can build amazing software that really kind of paves the path for the future developers and also open source code around that, that's that's our job. Awesome.
2: So it awesome. is permissionless. So anyone can build a DApp on top of it, but you're just kind of yes. leading the way, basically. Okay.
4: Yeah. So any and there's great apps launching. I mean, um, I'm a big Proton Mint fan, by the way. Um, and shout out to the team at Proton Mint. They, we open sourced the, we recognize as a company, you know, there are some things we can build really well and some, it's sort of like Apple Maps is a great example, right? There are some things we can build really well and there are some things that maybe other people should just build that are more passionate about that particular product. And Proton Mint is a great example. I love NFTs, but I'm not a great NFT app person. It's not necessarily my thing. And I know that. And so we open source the NFT code and now we've got all these cool Open source marketplace. Proton Mint is one of them. We've also got Pro NFT market, ProNFT.Market, which is, I think, also going to support Solana soon as well. And we've got Soon.Market, S O O N.Market. And there's more coming, right? Snip Snip Coins is, if you check out Snip Coins, it's pretty cool. It's like a Facebook for crypto, but it's built on Proton and it supports X tokens. And soon I think it's also going to have an NFT marketplace. So fast, fee less, permissionless. Everybody should be able, it's not a blockchain if you can't just Deploy a DApp on it. If you can't do that, then that is not a blockchain. So, so yeah, this is interesting. So it's not currently EVM. It uh, smart contracts are in C plus plus, and then recently TypeScript has become very popular. We're going to put out a blog about that about how you can code in TypeScript in Proton as well. Uh, EVM is coming to Proton, and there's a couple different ways that it's coming. So one is that the underlying EOSIO uh, code base is also being actively developed by the EOS Network Foundation, and that is their primary goal right now. So as B1, uh, Block 1, and ENF split off, ENF has really focused, that is like their mission right now, is getting EVM. So EVM is coming to all EOS IO-based chains, and that's not only Proton, but I believe that's also Wax, and Ultra, and File and other EOS IO-based chains. Um, and that's one way that's coming. But something that's really interesting that we are working on is this idea of a network of chains, so, Proton not only as just EOS IO, but the ability for it to be uh, to adapt other chain technology and kind of morph over time as this DAO. And I haven't really this is the first time that I've really openly talked about this um, this vision. And it's just an idea in blockchain that may the best ideas rise to the top, right? Um, it's an idea, but uh, essentially, right now, what we have are wrapped assets, X tokens, right? And they can they. We took this approach because I'm a huge fan of inter-blockchain communication and ThorChain, all the different efforts to make two blockchains. um, Also, I know that Bitcoin and Litecoin have communicated, right? And Decred and and various other chains have had kind of early work. It's a little too early to put billions into uh, uh, Oracle bridges or completely decentralized. It's just too early. We saw the 320 million wormhole hack. I'm a big believer in people and the last thing I want is to see my people and our people get killed in the market from some hack when when the, the people the technologists building it said, yeah, it's safe. I'm not gonna say it's safe. It's not yet. But uh, DeFi has really taken off with WBTC and USDC. Most of the most of the DeFi on Ethereum in particular, which is where a lot of it is happening is um, is wrapped tokens, actually, is WBTC. And USDC is essentially wrapped token at uh, Signature Bank by Circle, right? So um, I'm a big believer in wrapped tokens. At Metallicus, we created X-tokens, which are wrapped tokens of, you know, top popular mainnet cryptocurrencies. And then we do that custody, similar to how BitGo does the custody of Bitcoin for WBTC. And that works really well, and I think that's very secure. That model's proven. Over time, we will have more uh, decentralized bridges and the idea is, as it becomes... Back to that keyword, responsible innovation, safe and responsible. We will, you know, we'll move into that direction. We do want decentralized bridges. But for now, wrapped assets and custodied assets is the safest, best way to go. Um, and so with X tokens, uh, that is something where we offer an asset like XPR as an ERC 20 or as a BEP 20 as an asset on top of another chain. But what if it was essentially the fork of another chain? What if uh, essentially you could have this network of chains? And so, you know, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew as a core developer. And certainly someone can pursue this network of chains idea. But this is um, part of a vision that I'll be publishing in our in our new uh, white paper. And it's, it's kind of a vision for the future in that a DAO and a blockchain can evolve. So it's not just trapped into its architecture in one way, but it can move laterally as well. And that's the vision, right, is that the technology that we're not trapped, you know, the original OS 9 or OS 10 when it first came out is way different than, you know, what we have today. And I saw an old iPhone recently that was like one of the first iPhones and it hadn't been updated. And I was like, I cannot believe, cannot believe this is, I don't even remember this being this crappy, but somehow over the years, I just got used to this better and better and sharper versions. Um, But blockchains shouldn't be constrained that
1: same way too. We should be able to be flexible. So that's awesome. Awesome. So Fred, I'm going to kick this over to you real quick. We've just so, heard a, a, a ton from from Marshall, and you know, really, like I said, is this your first exposure to to his L1? And based on what he said, what are your your thoughts about you know what it's going to actually take for him to see this vision? Because right now, you know, Marshall, we're sitting around you know 300 something on on coin cap market, um, and you know, I. I'm going to refrain from, from commenting there. Um, but what do you feel is, is going to be, you know, Fred, in your opinion, what's going to take to get this idea, um, to, to go mainstream?
3: Um, you know, I, I, think first, you know, I applaud you for, um, emulating the, the Apple model. Cause I think you need to, this concept that Regis McKenna, who is a marketing guru who worked for Intel and then worked for Steve Jobs, um, in the very early days of Apple came up with called the complete product. And, you know, it's not just the hardware platform, uh, but it's all the software and the ecosystem and the marketplace, et cetera. But then you have to leave it open so people can develop. And you, know, you, you may or may not recall, but Steve Jobs with the iPhone initially was vehemently against opening it up. Uh, and it wasn't until they opened it up that it actually kind of really took off. Um, but but I, I think it's exciting what you're doing, definitely. Um, I think the challenge always occurs in that as um, any sort of um, market entrant that comes in when you have very established players that are all kind of vying for attention. And uh, when you talk about vying for attention, it's not consumer attention. We're talking more institutional attention. And you know, you've got Bitcoin, you've got Ethereum, you've got Ripple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. And so you know, there's this old term in venture capital uh, in the venture capital industry, which is you have to be either 10 times less expensive or increase performance by 10x. Otherwise, you're not going to get above the noise level. And so uh, I think the the key challenge uh, is, you know how are you going to really um, show the marketplace and show the core influencers in the marketplace? And by influencers, I don't mean people on Instagram, I mean banks, I mean people who will actually adopt this and use it when those influencers have a built-in reason not to adopt you, right? I mean, J.P. Morgan, like, we hate crypto, we hate crypto. Okay, we'll do a little bit of crypto. Meanwhile, they're investing just as much as B of A is in the background in acquiring anything, and then they'll all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, you know, we've got our own thing now. How do you get through this period where it's kind of like you're on the beach, you need to get out uh, to the, where the surf break is, and you got to get through all these waves to get there. To be able to catch the wave. Finally, how, you know, what's your plan?
4: Yeah, you know um, what you said about ten times better. That resonated with me, right? And ten times cheaper. You know, to start the gas fees, right? We, how about um, how about infinite level cheaper to, to zero, right? Because we have to have, we have to just start there and just say, okay, on the consume, just at the base level for all these people that are going to use that. Because J.P. Morgan and even smaller community banks, they're going to. You know, are people going to use this, right? And it needs to be that Apple-level experience. And this has always been the case in crypto. It's been so far behind the traditional technology consumer experience that it needs to catch up. So that's been a big part of that, is catching it up to the traditional consumer experience and then going even beyond the traditional fintech consumer experience. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big part of it, is be 10 times the fintech experience but then also, you know, on the UX and on the crypto side, be ten times the the crypto experience, and that is, you know, what we've done, right? We went lower on the fees uh, and and the and the cost, right? That was important, the and also the experience, but um, you know, ten times in terms of the the really hard stuff to do, right? And that's the crypto banking part, you know, entering into the fiat portion, the regulated portion. There's lots of L1s that that do fast and, and, and low cost efficiency, but there's virtually none that do free. And that's kind of part of that blue ocean, right? That, that free blockchain. And once we started marketing that and saying, you know, free, no fees, that's when all of a sudden things started. people started to notice more. So I think, you know, one of Proton's big challenges is really that visibility challenge and fighting, like you, like you said, fighting through that kind of institutional adoption. But there's a funny secret here. Um, and you, you hinted at it earlier and I won't call them out by name, but you mentioned some big coins and you said, and what are they really doing? What is the product? What is it vaporware? And when I go into large financial institutions, again, not to be named, but they're, you know, probably in your wallet. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, we talk and they say, what is that company even doing anyways? Because we have a partnership and I don't even know what it means. And that's why, when, when, when Proton and Metal goes to make the partnership, it's going to be bundled with that 10 times user experience. And we had to work 10 times as hard as a company to break through because we started years ago. We started before 2017, before all of that noise. And we were really told no. And then we were slightly told no and we got better and better. And we formed our, we formed our, um, our BSA and our bank secrecy act and compliance program. These are things that most L1s don't have. They don't have the financial experience. They don't have the traditional experience. And what you said earlier about the full package—that's that's where we have the blue ocean. We're the full package. It's hard to find an L one that understands regulatory and banking, and let alone is in the process of full, uh, um, you know building a bank, right? And that is. That's rare. That's truly rare. And so how can we be this unique aspect, but also something that changes the way that people do banking and the way that people do crypto? I think one of our biggest challenges right now is that institutional adoption, like you said. And I think in getting there, I've kind of had to be punished for doing things the right way. while people go overseas and they play the regulatory arbitrage game, make their billions. I'm sitting over here thinking, what is the 100-year institution for crypto look like? and what is the blue ocean opportunity how can i make a 10 times better experience and 10 times cheaper in fact how do i make it basically free right that's the experience and it needs to be holistic and i can't rely on some third party dapp developer to be the sole defi lending protocol and like steve i was hesitant in the beginning to you know like we have to really get these core pieces down and we're still getting them down. But now, you know, Proton Loan has taken over 15 million TVL. And I think it's it happens like that. Like overnight, suddenly something could be a billion. But it takes the right institution, the right momentum. And I think what's going to happen, and here's my big prediction. And, you know, I, I published two pieces in The Hill last year talking about identity in crypto. And, man, I got slammed on on Twitter. You know, how this guy wants to kill an anonymity. I don't want to kill an anonymity. I want to preserve privacy and I want, to, I want to see you be able to pay your taxes with Bitcoin in the state of the California to the federal government. I want to see you use crypto and I'm fighting for it the best way that I know how in building compliant, responsible uh, software. And I think that that ultimately, when we get past the hype cycle of the institutions are investing you know, purely for profit, well, I mean, they're investing purely for profit. But when we get out of the less speculative phase and we start to invest in the things where is the blockchain technology that allows me to comply with the travel rule across multiple countries? And what's the best user experience when somebody signs up for a new wallet where they never lose their keys ever, ever again? No one should ever lose keys. Oh, Metal did that, in kind of this Apple-like experience. So I think you're right. My biggest challenge is institutional adoption, and I think my secret weapon is reg tech and user experience. Our secret weapon at the company.
1: Marshall, right. I... Right, abs- absolutely, you know, phenomenal, um, and and again, really amazing interview. Uh, before we leave, and before uh, you know, you, you threw out a couple names and a, a few projects. Run run through a few, you know, kind of uh, alpha drops of just kind of what's got ex- what has you excited for the third party apps that are starting to build uh, on ProChain and, and Proton Chain, and why they're doing so.
4: Yeah. So this is shout out time. So you know, to start, Proton Mint, the team over at Proton Mint. They took this open source code that we put out for the the Proton market, and they really built an amazing community around it. And um, you know, I'm really impressed with that community because you know people come to Proton where they maybe want to list an NFT for five dollars or twenty dollars, and the community will buy it. The other night, a big, a big community member said, "I'm just figuring out this NFT stuff," and you know, I'm you know, uh, he's a retired, older guy. And I said I just listed it for some Proton, and I said looks like it just sold. I bought it, right? But that's the vibe, right, in this community. And and the team over at Proton Mint has really created this awesome not only platform that now supports bids. It supports you know multiple currencies like um, not only Proton but Loan Token, um, at USDC, other coins. Uh, but it really has it's you know this awesome community behind it. Um, you know Snip Coins is another really cool one I saw that's. You know, it's really needed a social media platform that has crypto integrated. Uh, you know, Facebook talks about doing it, but I don't think anybody's excited about that, honestly. Um, I don't think anybody with Facebook is like, can't wait to put the Facebook's crypto into this, right? That's just the way that it is. It's just not fresh. They'll probably acquire someone, right, to do that. But um, Snipcoins is really cool. It's, it really, they've built out all these Facebook type features. Another one that I think is really interesting is Storex. Kind of like a new egg or an Amazon with crypto purchasing where it's integrated and they have their own native token. All of these have their own native token too. So there's Mintcoin, Storex token, Snips, and this is Web3. These are DAOs, right? These are really cool DAOs. Another one um, that I really like, I think is really cool, is uh, an NFT. Uh, it's an NFT series. It's called, it's a DAO called Fenix, uh, Crypt Fenix, and it is essentially, um, a, uh, a bird, a fennec, and it is, I believe, the national bird of Algeria. Um, the 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 founder of it, Hunter X, is just an awesome community guy, and it started as just a series of NFTs. And I, I'm an owner of several of them. I mean, this is makes up a lot of the NFT volume on Proton, and uh, it's really cool. It's just a really cool story, and what's and each one of these uh, NFTs of these fennecs are part of this. Fennecverse, which is going to become a metaverse DAO platform, and I've watched as this just this just started as kind of really cool art and kind of this series and story and art becoming more of a community. And some of these Fennecs are designed after people—people people that served in the military, people that are uh, IT CEOs, people that are a guy that uh, has a shoe company, right? And they—and it shows in the, the you know in the art, and so it's really cool. These people, the the Fennec DAO. Are you know, supporting each other and helping each other? I just saw the other day, one of them sent someone else like a bag full of like uh, food, I think from Germany or something. It's this community that's just really growing. It's incredible. And the Fennec floor raised it's like, I think it's at like 4,000 right now, but it, well, not too long ago, it's at 7,000? That's incredible, right? Because NFTs on Proton are relatively new. So there's a really, you know, popping community in there. Um, there's just so many cool dApps, and there is, I, I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet, but there is a really cool. Uh, Dapp that's that is a social media influencer community Dapp that has some really amazing you know uh, Shark Tank type names on the project that's coming to Proton um, and it's kind of like this how we're talking uh, it's fan interactions with crypto and it has its own DAO and NFTs and they have some incredible names on it. A lot of other cool projects like this that are coming over. I think people are just starting to notice Proton because we didn't have that flocky enu marketing. I didn't. We don't have you know billboards and airports and whatever. And you're like, oh my god, I got to get some flocky. We basically built purely on community. So the people that are around Proton, it's it's pretty much word of mouth. So a lot of cryptos are focused on you know advertising and hyping and pumping, and they're not really building much meme coins and things. Sorry, I don't mean to trash talk flocky or anything like that. I just. I know they have a lot of ads in the airport or whatever, right? <laughs> but we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We recently took out our first billboard in the Bay Area, and it was really cool. Um, it says "Web three developers, you know, welcome," and it mentions Fast and Feeless uh, blockchain, and that was great because the people that are coming in, it's more of a corporate clientele of existing fintech that wants to add DeFi to their apps. You know, doesn't is looking at the securities risk, uh, the centralized lending platforms like c platforms that have those issues and then saying, well, we want maker or compound, but it's too expensive on the gas fees. And, you know, um, the rates are kind of low. Right. And, uh, so proton loan, right. Um, and you know, there, there's a lot of really cool platforms coming. One piece of alpha I do want to give that I think is really exciting is that, um, my podcast light just went out, ran out of batteries. <laughs> uh, it's, it's around Proton Swap. Proton Loan I think is a great platform, showing tons of promise, millions of dollars of TVL. You can really go on there as long as you're not trying to borrow like five million, but you want to borrow you know a couple hundred thousand or even up to a million, you can do that on Proton Loan. It's growing very quickly, so it has that that, that early liquidity. One thing that I'll admit, you know, Proton Swap when we launched it, it really just became a place to trade Proton was hard to attract that liquidity. And to Fred's point, it's hard to break into that market when ProtonSwap was just like every other AMM, right? So recognizing that, and I recognize that. And you know, like Apple, sometimes early products, you know, they don't exactly hit, but we're going we're gonna to try. And I recognize what was missing. And, and, and inside our VP of blockchain, we sat down, we recognized what was missing. One of those things was EVM, and that came about the network of chains idea and the um, EVM into EOS, IO, which is coming. So Proton will have EVM soon and has TypeScript now but was this idea was we wanted to um, really make a highly liquid DEX. There's no really great DEX out there that supports, in my opinion, that supports limit orders, is fast and fee-less, has multiple cryptocurrencies. I know bullish is trying to do this and I'm on the beta, but it's very limited. It's only a few cryptos. It doesn't have that fast and fee-less kind of experience that I've come to know with Proton. So we went back to the drawing board and we are re-architecting a new exchange protocol that's the evolution of ProtonSwap that's a fully featured exchange with limit orders, filler or kill, advanced types of orders, margin, and so forth. And it all happens on Proton with wrapped X tokens. And I'm really excited about this. This is something that I don't want to give any dates. I don't want to say much more beyond that. But um, imagine an exchange that was fast and feeless where the coins never left your wallet, right? That's that's what we're bringing. And it's, it's reg tech ready. It's compliant ready. And I'm super excited about it. It's going to complete the Proton ecosystem to give us that liquidity internally where you just don't have to go anywhere else anymore outside of Proton.
1: Marshall, absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you for your time. As always, Stefan, uh, traveling the world in, in Mexico, you, you, you're doing good. It's a lot warmer there than it is here. Fred, always a pleasure seeing you. Hope to see you on Friday for Fireside and, and, and complete, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us for this one. Marshall, where do you want people to, to go hunt uh, hunt you down or, or find more information on Proton and everything you guys are doing?
4: Yeah. Follow us on Twitter uh, at ProtonXBR, at ProtonLoan, um, at MetalPaysMe, and also just my full name at Marshall Hayner. Check out ProtonChain.com or MetalPay.com. And of course, tune into YWales uh to, to learn more, as always. Thank you guys so much.
0: Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur, and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.